And I have the privilege this morning of uh, opening God's Word and giving the message. I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're, we're in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I, I think uh, when, when I uh, think of ministry here, my experience in the church, uh, in the New Testament, the book of Revelation seems to be a mystery, and many people stay away from that book. But number two would probably be Hebrews. Sometimes we get lost in all the detail in Hebrews. And so um, we have the privilege, Ryan uh, chose, uh, Pastor Ryan's on vacation and Christie's on vacation. They, uh, he chose Hebrews uh, just for, uh, for the church family. For us, it is part of the New Testament. Let's work our way through that and see what this book has to say, what the writer has to say to the church. And so we are on chapter three. Uh, as you uh, see in your bulletins and most likely behind me, the, 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 the title here is Jesus, Greater, Better, Greater, and More. Um, and so um, that's the theme of this letter. And we're now on chapter 3. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 6. And as you can see uh, in the title there, chapter 3, the heading, Jesus Greater Than Moses. And uh, here we go. God's reading for us this morning. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. God's reading for us here this morning. I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you again for just the, the blessing of worship this morning. What a joy it is to be able to, to offer up the sacrifice of praise to you in, in song. And Father, what a a joy it is to be able to open your word, to read your word. And Father, as we say so often here on Sunday mornings, we pray, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, give us ears to hear now what you would want to say to your church. In your name we pray, amen. Running, Running in the Kansas City Marathon, half marathon, is a, a very interesting event. The crowd is enormous. And at the starting line, the runners, the runners are, are very, very excited, all smiles. Everyone seems highly motivated and excited. The atmosphere is very emotional and, um, and joyful. And then the race begins, and the hills appear. And it doesn't take long for Andy, usually about 15 feet into the race, to say to himself, oh, mercy me, Andy, just finish, just finish this race. And then halfway through the race, when the body is saying, stop, 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 some of you who I know who are runners are smiling, you know, the only thing left is that you persevere and you persist. 
And then when you see the finish line, oh my, you just, you know, you dig a little deeper and you drag yourself across the line. I mean, running, finishing is hard work. Now, I, I don't run a half marathon to set any course records, not at all. I, I really just run for myself. And I just want to, in my own, my own goals, to run well, to finish well. Now, that is one of the themes of the book of Hebrews. One theme, the idea of finishing well. The writer is saying to the audience here, to this, this church, brothers and sisters in Christ, finish your race in Christ. Finish in Christ, finish, cross the finish line in faith, in faith as you look to Christ. You started in Christ, you start the life, the Christian life in Christ, now finish in him and with him. This, this, um, this letter, the audience here, the audience is mostly Jewish, Jewish converts who, who are, were being tempted to revert to Judaism. And, and so living for Christ in the very first century was very difficult for Jewish Christians, but for all Christians for that matter. I mean, notice what it says in chapter 10, verse 32 and following. But recall, Hebrews 10, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and then this line, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. We think in America, we Christians sometimes have it hard. This culture at this time, you yourselves, it says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." And so the pressure to step away from the faith in the first century was immense and extreme. The need to endure, this need for endurance, perseverance, is found in our text. Verse 6, chapter 3, the very last line. And we have this house, if indeed we hold fast, that little phrase, indeed, if indeed we hold fast, the idea of endurance, the idea of perseverance, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, I'm going to pick up this theme of perseverance and endurance a, a little bit later again, but first, a few words about verses 1 through 5, or the beginning of verse 6. The title of my message, as I mentioned earlier, is Jesus Better Than Moses. The word better in the cluster of words, better, greater, more, those words occur some 25 times in this letter. 25 times. The audience is mostly Jewish, and they really do know their Old Testament very, very well. And the, old, the writer here affirms the Old Testament. It has its place. But what is he saying? He says very clearly, 
It points to the future, and the future has come. The future is Jesus. The Messiah has come. The better has come. The Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the new. In the new. Jesus is the centerpiece of faith. And that's what we have here. Kind of interesting. And so this whole idea of, 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 of betterment. The first ten chapters of this letter. Jesus is superior. Superior. Superior to the prophets to the angels, to Moses, superior to the, 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 the temple, superior to the Old Testament sacrifices, superior to the Old Testament covenant. The writer is saying, the gift has come. The gift has come. Why play with the wrapping paper? The prize is here. The gift is here. And he continues to say, so if you want to endure, he's saying to his audience, if you want to run the Christian faith and run it to the end in Christ, look and rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Not Old Testament events or people. They all pointed to Jesus, find their fulfillment in Jesus. He's the center faith or peace of faith. So this is what he's saying now as we move to chapter 3, 1 through 6. He's comparing Moses to Jesus, Jesus to Moses. Very interesting. And notice, both were sent by God, Jesus, the apostle, the word means sent. Both were sent by God, and both were faithful to their calling. Moses was very faithful to his calling. He was called to go to Egypt to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt from Pharaoh and bring them to the promised land. Jesus was very faithful to his calling. He was sent. He was sent to redeem people, to um, relieve people, to deliver people from the bondage of the devil, the evil one. Chapter 2, verse 14, last, last week we saw that. And bring them into the Sabbath rest which is redemption in Christ, eternal life. But that is where the similarities kind of end for this writer here in chapter 3. For chapter 3, Moses was a faithful servant, but Jesus was a faithful son. That makes all the difference. Moses was part of the house, that imagery of house, but Jesus, God himself, built a house. And so, verse 3, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was faithful to his calling, had his place in Old Testament history, but the better, the greater, the more has come. Moses pointed to the future. We see that verse 5. He says there, he, he, he was to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. The later has come in Jesus Christ. We read that, Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, many times, in many places, in, in many ways, God spoke. He says, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Now, the writer, let me say this very clearly. The writer is not diminishing the Old Testament at all. Not at all. He's not diminishing the Old Testament. Um, they have their place. Moses, we think of the covenant, we think of the law, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood. They were all called by God, established by God. God, God called them into existence, but they had their purpose in place 
there. And they all pointed, they all pointed to the coming one, to the Messiah. Once again, fulfilled in Christ. The promised gift has come. Don't play with the wrapping paper. You have the gift. The gift is Jesus. He's here. Look to him for your hope, for your rest, for your security. Now, this thought of fulfillment, stay with me here. This thought of fulfillment, the Old Testament pointing to Christ, being fulfilled in Christ, echoes Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And there we read Jesus say, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, in many ways, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but in many ways, I think Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews, is a commentary on that one verse from Matthew 5 or 17, where Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It all points to me. It all points to me. We also have this, this idea um, Jesus' words to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 25. He says there, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He also says in that, that chapter, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. This is the message of Hebrews. The better, the greater, the more has come. Consider him. Run to him. Now the question is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Especially to the Jewish converts. Or does one need to add something to Jesus as his person and his work? Is he not sufficient? Again, to the Jewish audience, do we need to add something to him? Is it Jesus plus Moses for security and salvation? Is it Jesus plus circumcision for salvation? Is it Jesus plus the Old Testament sacrifices for salvation? Now, how about us here today in New City Church? You know, I'm not sure. Many of us are not tempted to make Moses or circumcision an idol. I, I, in my ministry years, over 30 years, I haven't had a young man come to me and say, my temptation is circumcision. I just haven't had that. It's not, it doesn't seem to be our audience, does it? But, But what, but what are we tempted to put our trust in? What are we tempted to put our hope in, our security in, instead of Jesus and Christ and Jesus alone? Our bank accounts? Our house and our zip code? Our college degree? Our, our, our ingenuity, our ingenuity and our resourcefulness? Our political party? Now don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong at all. The, in and of themselves, these are not wrong at all. But they're not God. They're not God. And they're not meant to be. And and they're not. And so the writer of Hebrews saying very clearly in his message here, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. The better, the greater, the more has come. He is sovereign and he is sufficient. Run to him. Run to him. And so with all that now said, 
the writer is saying persevere. And so the rest of my message now will, will center on this idea of persevering, being persistent, endurance. Verse 10, our confidence, our boasting, and our hope is in Christ alone. That's what he means by those little phrases. It's in Christ alone. And he says, as God's house, God's household, interesting again, in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple, his house. We think of Jesus Christ. We think of his birth. He tabernacled with us, the presence of God in Jesus. Now we see in the New Testament, we, believers in Christ, we are filled with his spirit. God dwells within us. We are his house. There is redemptive um, uh, history that takes place. And so the writer very interestingly says, we are God's house, God's household, God's household. Hold fast, he's saying to these believers, all the way to the end, hold fast to your faith in Christ. Now this theme of endurance, this theme of perseverance is found in, 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 the, in Hebrews, here and there, many places, but also in the rest of the New Testament. The, the word perseverance, the cluster of words persevere, persevered, persevering, occurs some 20 times in the New Testament. The ESV translates the word as endurance, and that's a good word too, endurance or to endure. Now, it seems that the New Testament Christian here, the New Testament Christian, that they were prone to drift, prone to drift from their commitment to Christ Jesus. Ryan touched on that a couple weeks back. We find that word drift in chapter 2, verse 1. But we also find here other words, uh, uh, verses, Hebrews 10. For you have need for endurance. 1126, by faith he, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, seeing him, God who was invisible. He endured as he fixed his eyes on God who was greater. He endured, he was steadfast. Chapter 12, verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance means stamina or fortitude. It means um, tenacity, stick to That word in the New Testament is always surrounded. The context is always difficulty, hardship, trouble. Psalm 23, verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That word endurance is when faith is hard, we're walking through a valley. It's difficult. There might be even dark, dark days. But when the tough going gets tough, the tough endure. They fix their eyes on Jesus, and they endure. They persist. They keep going. And so in the middle of a half or full marathon, we endure. When we have to mow the lawn in 95-degree weather, we endure. When we cradle and we cuddle a sick child at 3 a.m., we lovingly endure, don't we? When studying for a difficult exam, we endure, we persist. But so now the Christian faith, when our homes are being plundered, 
Imagine that. Just because you say you're a believer and you follow Jesus as Lord. When your homes are being plundered, when our co-workers sneer, scorn, and maybe deride us for our faith in Christ, when our society just continues to push Christianity to the side, when we're in, enticed to, to give in to temptation and sin, when we're wavering to be faithful or not, when we've fallen from grace and we're full of guilt and shame, we endure, we run to Jesus again and again and again. We hold fast. We look to him, the author, perfecter of our faith. And now notice how the writer of Hebrews affirms this in chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast. Here's those words again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So how do we endure? How do we stay the course? How do we do this? Well, uh, I mean, we look to Jesus, as I mentioned now a number of times. We place our hope and our trust in him alone. But has he given us other means of grace to help us stay the course? Back to chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13 is all part of the same section here, an application. We read, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. Here's a little application for us this morning. But let us exhort each other every day. The word exhort... Uh, can be translated encourage, encouragement. Let us encourage one another. We have the ministry of encouragement here. We have the ministry of encouragement here to each other. To encourage means to lift up. It means to inspire, to comfort, to support, to help. It also carries the thought of perhaps correction or reproof. If we really truly love someone, a friend, a brother and sisters, we'll lovingly come to them and maybe say and speak truth and love. Also part of the word. Interesting enough, the Greek word here is parakaleo. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. Interesting enough, from the same Greek word family. This word here, exhort, encourage. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, the one who comes next to us, side, our side, alongside us, to encourage, to strengthen us in our faith. We see that in John 14, 15, and 16. Believers in Christ now have this ministry of encouragement, too, to help, to come alongside, to inspire, to encourage one another. Verse 13, once again, says, encourage one another every day. How do we endure hardship? How do we avoid drifting in our faith? We come alongside each other. Allow others to lean on us. We, uh, we reassure the faint of heart. We, we listen. We cry. We pray together. Together. We also can speak the truth in love. I, I, my favorite verse, Colossians 3.16, all of us can exhort and encourage each other through the scriptures. 
It says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you admonish and teach one another with all wisdom. It's the ministry of us, the ministry of us, each other, together. And so we participate in a city group. We participate in a DNA. We, we participate in a Bible study. We, we send Bible verses, you know, perhaps to each other via text or email. So brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, is there someone you know in the church that needs your encouraging word today? Needs your presence today, your listening ear today? It's not just Pastor Andy or Ryan that has this gift. It's the ministry of us. We're all in this together. And then we notice too, we notice too how the author continues Hebrews 10, he says this in verse 24. He says, And let us, the house, the household of faith, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds or good works. How do we avoid drift, drifting away from our faith? We encourage each other. We encourage each other to use the God-given gifts and talents that God has given us to serve one another. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so I would like now very much to use my gift of encouragement to you this morning. Please, if you look in the, in the city life, number six says serving opportunities. I'd like to encourage you to lovingly you know, serve God in, in his church and kingdom See your place. See how he has gifted you to serve someone else. When we serve others, we are a blessing, hopefully. We are a blessing. But when we serve others, we also enrich our own faith. It's it's really quite remarkable. We avoid spiritual drift when we give our hearts and our time away to others. We strengthen faith, our faith, when we give our hearts and our lives to others. Hebrews 10, verse 25, we read, and I'll pick up on verse 24, and let us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice with me the words, not neglecting to meet together. An, an ember, a piece of coal by itself, you know, just cools down quickly, but a stack of embers burns longer, much longer. And that's what we have here. Believers, believers are called to commune and to community. We're not called to Facebook or social media. Of course, we, we have that. But we shouldn't deceive ourselves to think that we're doing fellowship in that way. That's really fake community, my read, my understanding. Biblical community is always in person. Person the person. God created us and Christ recreated us to be a family, a community where we belong and do life together. We lock our hands together and we do life with one another. There's just something very interesting about this whole topic. 
This, this spiritual, you know, what's going on spiritually when we're together in group and in worship? It, it's spiritual, it's grace, it's hard to explain. God is present, he's very present, we understand that in group. He, he's, he's here, and, and often sometimes we're not even aware of it spiritually, but, but God is at the means of grace, restoring, strengthening our faith with each other, by each other. Ephesians 5, verse 18, we read, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We, we should have musicals going on here in Sunday mornings. Addressing each other, one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These words are lived in community. No man or woman is an island. We flourish in community. We die in isolation. We flourish in community. We will drift and die in isolation. So in conclusion, summary here, all that's been said here, believers in Christ living the Christian life today can be a challenge, can be difficult. God never said it was going to be easy. Why in the first century would it be any different than today if we live for Jesus Christ? We are constantly being tempted to revert, to retreat to our old days. The Jewish converts to the Old Testament prophets and to the law, and to the Old Testament structure. Uh, Non-Jewish people, probably to our own sinful patterns and, and, and idols. But the answer, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. The better, the greater, the more. No other person, no other thing can satisfy. Again, the writer is saying to us, run to him. Run to him. He's the source. He's the source. Life strength. And Christ Jesus now hasn't left us alone either. He hasn't left us alone. He redeemed us into a, a house, into a household of faith. And what's so beautiful here is that now in this household of faith, we can exhort and encourage one another in the faith. And also with that, to avoid spiritual drift, we can serve one another in community, church, kingdom. So New City Church, be a blessing. Be a blessing today. Go ahead. Go ahead. Encourage someone. Bless someone. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you again for, for your word. Lord, your, your word is so rich and deep. And here tucked away in Hebrews chapter 3. Here, here's a beautiful word, a beautiful thought once again, that, 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 that you have received more glory than Moses, the Old Testament prophets. That you, that you are the, the apostle, the high priest, the son, the son of God. That your one perfect sacrifice for sin atones for our sin. That the Old Testament looked to you and just as the writer had to encourage these converts to keep their eyes fixed on you. So today, 
So today, we're so prone to drift, Lord. So easily, we drift. The cares of this world, stuff that we have to do, the goods of this world sometimes look just better than you. So subtle. And we can tend to put our security in them instead of you. Oh, Lord, thank you for the, the church body. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you that you've given us the ministry, the ministry of us. The ministry that, that we can encourage one another and exhort one another that we can listen to one another and inspire one another and, and pray with one another, that we, that we enrich each other's lives to stay the course by being together. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray, Lord, that you will just encourage us with this word. Lord, for all of us, may it be our goal that we will be encouragers for you. In your name we pray. Amen.